930. <laughs> ah, so funny. Okay, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to, um, we're going to walk through Daniel over the next few weeks. And um, we're, we're going to read like 90% of it, um, but we're not going to break every sentence down. We're going to look at the big picture of the stuff. And, uh, and when we need to break certain sentences down, we'll do that. But I, I, the more I'm reading this, uh, I've been, for the some, for some reason, the last three or four months, I've been reading Daniel. And I keep coming back to Daniel, I'm reading Daniel. And then I go read somewhere else, I'm like, you know, I need to go back to Daniel. And I read Daniel again. And, and, um, and, it's, and it's, um, it's, obviously it's not coincidence, but the stuff in Daniel is so, I think, so important to us right now. Um, there's so many things that are happening that we've got to pay attention to. We've got to be looking at in a um, in a world sense. In a uh, you know what is our what is our worldview? I, I talked about that Sunday. For the next few Sundays, we're going to be looking at uh, what makes me me. What is my what is my worldview? Why do I see certain things the way that I do? Um, this is something years ago. Uh, Lynn and I had been married about a year, maybe a year and a half. And uh, the first year was simple, easy. Um, we were in a very difficult situation in ministry. Um, I, could, I could tell you things that happened. And that could, when I hear people talk about, you know, ministry's rough, this happened, this happened, and most of the time I'm like, that's kindergarten stuff, let me tell you. I got stuff. And, um, and uh, so we didn't actually, like, disagree with anything, with each other. We didn't get in, like, arguments and stuff like that our first year. Because there's so much external pressure and we just kind of huddled together, you know, most of the time, and it was us against them. And, um, and then the second year, we moved to uh, a new ministry, a new church, and became youth pastors there. And, um, and it was a great church, great pastor, great ministry, um, great people. And, uh, and we just got to do ministry, just really do ministry. And it was, it was huge for us. And that pastor was a great mentor to me and leader taught me a lot about ministry and and uh but what happened is is it was no longer Lynn and I against the world now we everything was good we started looking across the table at each other and we're like oh I got some things so the second year was very difficult on us and um to the, to the point where without a couple of key factors we wouldn't have made it um obviously the Lord that's the biggest one um, but this, this sounds like this, this isn't, unless you're in the context that I'm in, it doesn't, may not make sense to you, but because we were in ministry, that was a, a, um, that was a, uh, a paradigm that demanded that we have to do a couple of things, either work on our issues or hide them completely from everybody else. We couldn't. We couldn't have issues like, um, like other married people have. Like, we, like if you go through a rough uh, place in your, in your marriage, and, I, and, I, and I've seen this so many times over the years, where a couple will separate for a while. Okay, we need to work on some things. We're going to separate. Lynn and I didn't have that freedom. Okay, I'm not saying that you would just, that's going to be your answer. That's not what I'm saying. But you might have that option. It doesn't affect your job. It doesn't affect all these other things in life. It affects everything about Lynn and I. In fact, if Lynn and I just get in a big knockdown, drag out fight in front of people in the church, not like hitting, you know what I'm saying. Um, 
It affects the way you look at things. It affects it. In fact, my pastor called me in years ago. This was that same pastor, the second church. And Lynn and I had been married uh, two years, two and a half years at that time. And, and he came and he said, you, you guys have got to start arguing, stop arguing in front of people. You've got to quit it. It's annoying to all of us. I was like, yes, sir. Um, now, some of it wasn't arguing for Lynn and I. It was banter. Uh, that's who we are. and We've always been that way. And some people don't get that. But that's who we are. But some of it was just arguing. It was just immaturity. And uh, I, I, at, at that time, I began to really process what it means. I, I heard, um, I can't think of his name right now, uh, John Maxwell, he had a little sermon kind of thing. And, uh, and he said that, in, in, uh, that the most important aspect of life for you as an individual is to spend all your time and energy working on you and zero time and energy working on everybody else. And, and I was like, that doesn't make sense. I don't want to work on me at all. I would like to spend 0% working on me and 110% working on everybody else. And, and it really became, it became a challenge for me. Um, another thing he did was uh, what's called the 101% principle. Take one thing about, if you really dislike somebody, take one thing that you can find... Um, um, decent about them or good or positive, just one thing, and focus 100% of your energy on that one good thing about that other person, and, and it'll begin to change your perspective, and you'll start seeing life differently. And so I really, I really switched. Now, I, I'm making it sound like a lot more definitive than it was. It wasn't. It was gradual and, and gradual over years, and now 31 years later, we're still working on it. But I really began to shift and stop thinking Linda was the problem. And I started thinking, maybe I'm the problem. Maybe I could just do something to change me. And it took me quite a few weeks just to be able to say, I felt like Fonzie, right? For some, you, some of you don't know. What's, who's Fonzie? <laughs> Fonzie couldn't say certain things. And, uh, and I felt like that. I would be like, okay, I'm going to change me. You know, I couldn't get it out. Finally, when I got to the point where I could say, I'm going to change me, and I'm going to stop worrying about Linda. Now, <clears throat> there's no way that I can honestly say that I've never, since that day, tried to change Linda. Okay, It's not possible. As human beings, we do that. We try to change the other person. People in our life, relationship, all kinds of things. But I really started trying, and I've, and I've worked hard at that over the years to try to change me. Well, that's what this series coming up is, is what makes me me? We've got to do some investigation. We've got to do some processing. Who am I? How did I get to where I am? I'm saying like as a person, not geographically, although that is part of the mix. Um, relationally, that's part of the mix. How did I get here? Why do I think the way that I do? Why did I think this is good and this is bad? And we're really going to be breaking that down over the next few weeks. And, um, and it will be as beneficial as you allow it to be. So let's go to Daniel. <clears throat> During the third reign of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. 
Now then we see, um, well, let me go to, um, let me go to Jeremiah chapter 43 real quick, and we're going to look at something, because this, this whole first chapter is, is showing us something that first disagrees strongly with most, most um, evangelical Christianity today, okay? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 12. Um, am I in the right place? That's not right. I think I wrote this down wrong. Uh, let's try. I'll try some other things and tell you. Yes, uh, Jeremiah 34, not 43. You guys aren't dyslexic, you would have caught that. Jeremiah 34, verse 12. So the Lord gave them this message through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I made a covenant with your ancestors long ago when I rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. I told them that every Hebrew slave must be freed after serving six years. But your ancestors paid no attention to me. <clears throat> Recently you repented and did what was right, following my command, and they let them go for a little while. You freed your slaves and made a solemn covenant with me in the temple that bears my name. But now you have shrugged off your oath and defiled... You know, that, that uh, statement, the temple that bears my name... The reason he says it that way is because there's a lot of temples in that area in that time frame, and they had different names on them to the gods, right? And what he was saying is you did this in a, in a covenant with me. You did this in a relationship, a context, some kind of context of relationship with me. But now you have shrugged off your oath and defiled my name by taking back the men and women you had freed, forcing them to be slaves once again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Since you have not obeyed me by setting your countrymen free, I will set you free. Now, this is a weird way to say this. But he's trying to use the words to get them to process what's about to happen. Since you've not obeyed me by setting your countrymen free, I will set you free to be destroyed by war, disease, and famine. That doesn't sound like he's setting them free. But that is the right way to say this sentence. So what's he saying? I'm setting you free... Of what? Me. My protection. My covering. You don't want to do things the way that I have said? I set you free. Do what you want. Right? Guys, this is a theme through the entire Old Testament. This is a theme through the New Testament. We see, we see where when, when Scripture's talking about as you get farther and farther into sin and you get... You've heard me talk about this when it comes to um, homosexuality. By the time you get to homosexuality as being a sin in Scripture, you have gone through layers of, of rebellion, disobedience, and turning to sin. And then finally, you get to a point where, and this, this is why when people say, and, and I understand this, because in the big picture, this is a true statement. You know, sin is sin. Little sin, big sin, sin is sin. And I get that, but then if somebody says... And the punishment for sin is the same. That is not scripturally true. There is different punishment for different sin. And there is greater punishment for different kinds of sin. And when you, when you see where God says, and then, you, and then finally, after all this rebellion and sin, then you get to a point where you, turn your, your, you start having desires for same-sex sexuality, 
He says, I turn you over to yourself. You do what you want. Because you, you, layers of layers of rebellion to get to that. And because, I, I, you know, people try to say, well, you know, homosexuality is not different than lying. It is very different than lying. Scripture is very clear about that. Here's the way to look at how God looks at the sin is go back in the Old Testament and see what the judgments were for the sin. They weren't the same from sin to sin. They just weren't. God's pretty serious about things. Well, he's serious about all sin, obviously. And all sin will separate you from God. But some sin is a graduation into depravity that pulls you on, on your mind, your soul, your spirit. That's why things like pornography are so dangerous for us. Because they affect you uh, mentally, physiologically, in other words, chemically and mentally. They affect the, the way you relate, the way you emote, all these different things to members of the opposite sex. It tears away at the way you think about this stuff. And, and God is saying here, I told you to do, I told you to do this, and you didn't do it. So I free you up. You don't want to belong to me. You do not have to belong to me. <clears throat> he says, you will be an object of horror to all the nations of the earth. Because you have broken the terms of our covenant, I will cut you apart just as you cut apart the calf when you walk between its halves to solemnize your vows. I remember I spoke about this months ago, about um, 400 years before the Exodus, when, when God had them cut the cow in half and they walked through it. That is a covenant, that is a spiritual covenant in Scripture that is, there's nothing higher, there's nothing more important. And he says, you make this amazing, big, strong covenant with me, and then you break it. He says, I will cut you apart. Whether you are officials of Judah or Jerusalem, court officials, priests, or common people, for you have broken your oath. And by the way, I believe that's the order that it works in, at all times in history. You understand that? What we would say common people are the last on the judgment totem pole. Okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to use totem pole in spiritual things, but, but you understand what I'm saying. This is, this is why I really do have... Um, I have, a, I have a strong, um, I'm critical of pastors way more than I am the average person. And, and I've had people say, well, shouldn't you be the other way around? Shouldn't you be like partners together in this thing? Well, sure, as long as we're following God. I'm, I'm very much partners with ministers. I, there's, there's a bond and a brotherhood there that people don't get that, you know, I get with these people. I, when, I, when, I, when pastors sit around and talk, you can say, a couple little sentences that wouldn't make sense to you, and every pastor there knows what we're talking about. Because there's a connection, there's an understanding of a different type of lifestyle than, than most people have. The fact that, that, um, that, people, that people can judge you week to week, and, and depending on the setting, the context, that potentially can take your job away. I've had people try that a couple of times over the years. The, the, one of the strongest ones is since I've been here. Um, somebody tried to uh, get me out of the church and uh, talked up a good game and did all this kind of stuff. But here's the thing with that, and I don't mean this um, a smart aleck or whatever, but God's in charge of me. People are not, and I don't worry about that kind of stuff. Um, when God's ready for me to go somewhere, I'll go somewhere. Until then, um, everybody else can figure that whatever they want out. I'm going to follow God on this. But, but it's a weird job you have where people can get 
a handful of people, you know, ah, we hate the guy. And they can vote you out. You can, that doesn't work in regular jobs. Now, nowadays it will. If you say something conservative, you can actually get taken out of a job. But years ago, you couldn't get taken out of a job for stuff like that. Okay? Um, but the idea that, that uh, I'm going to follow God no matter what. I belong to God. God's in charge of me. I'm not going to let people determine that kind of stuff. I'm not going to let situations determine that kind of stuff. So it's, it's supposed to be the same for all of us in this. If, as, as, a, um, as a pastor, I'm accountable to God for more. Scripture says that. As a teacher, as a preacher of the gospel, I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to God for more. What I teach and preach, I'm accountable to God for. I don't take it lightly. I, I, I don't. That's why when people say things to me like... Um, well, pastor, we like it because you preach truth. Well, I don't know any other way, and it scares me to death to think I wouldn't be. Okay, that really, that really does bother me. The idea that somehow I would be something else just to get people to like me or to like the church. or It's either complete narcissism or selfishness or something. And I'm, I'm going to struggle with all those things just like everybody else. Why make it worse by not... Doing what God has said, right? And so he says, these, all these people will be judged for this. <clears throat> he says, for you have broken your oath. I will give you to your enemies and they will kill you. Your bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. In other words, he's not playing around here. That, that's kind of that's strong. There's a difference between saying, I don't like what you've done and you've really upset me. He says, I will, your bodies will be drugged across the ground by birds, your dead carcass will be eaten. So how do you feel about this, Lord? I will hand over King Zedekiah of Judah and his officials to the army of the king of Babylon. And although they have left Jerusalem for a while, I will call the Babylonian armies back again. They will fight against this city and capture it and burn it down. I will see to it that all the towns of Judah are destroyed with no one living there. Now, when we go back to Daniel, it says... The Lord gave him victory, so Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. King Nebuchadnezzar attacks, does some stuff, and then leaves. And then Jeremiah prophesied this years before. And he said, then the king's going to come back because you're not getting it. You're not understanding it. <clears throat> Let me just throw this out. We don't know this for sure because it doesn't say it. But any time in Scripture where we do see this happen, something like that, it's amazing how what God said was going to happen will not happen under one condition, always. What is it? We repent. If they would have repented when Nebuchadnezzar came the first time, if, they would have, if that would have got their attention, they would have repented, everything would have been good. But they didn't. They, they, they got worse. They're, they're putting their own people into slavery. They're, they're um, beginning to worship other idols. All this stuff. Right? So then, in verse 3 of Daniel 1, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff. He's probably a, also a, like a, a um, DJ. Ashpenaz his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families. 
who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking men, he said. Make sure that they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter the royal service. Now, these guys were slaves, but they were going to be treated better than the rest of the slaves. They were going to be like the, the servants in the kitchen and stuff like that, right? Um, they still need to be taught stuff because they needed to be able to have conversations with people and, and be educated and refined for visitors and things like that. But these guys were still going to be slaves, all right? <clears throat> Which is interesting because that's exactly what they were doing to their own people. That's, follow scripture with this stuff. When people turn against God, the things, that they, the things they do when they turn against God is what happens to them later. Almost every single time, what happens to them later. Now, why would that be important to us? <clears throat> Anybody? Rick? Well, it directly points to the New Testament where it talks about the law of sowing and reaping, right? So that's, I think, a direct correlation to what God is showing and reflecting in the Old Testament. They're just sowing bad seeds, and then they're reaping that harvest of slavery because they did that to their own people. And I also have a question for you, Pastor, on that scripture. When they went into... um, when in, they went into slavery, they were typically made eunuchs. Do you think they were the three Hebrew children? <clears throat> oh, what? What did what do you what do you use your question? Well, I don't were, want to get this. When wrong. they went into slavery, were they made into eunuchs? Because isn't that what they did to the males um, and the culturally thing? Because they were you know around the harems around and that kind of thing. Did they do that to them? I don't know, but yes, that was the tradition. Um, you know, I've read things that, that it says that, that definitely happened to these four guys, including all the other Israelite young men. Um, I, I don't know. We don't see any evidence one way or the other. It's not like later it says Daniel had children or something like that, you know. Um, I, just, I just don't want to believe it, you know, so let's just assume it didn't happen, if that's possible. Okay? We all on the same page. Let's vote. Let's vote on theology. Vote on God's word. That was a tradition, yes. <clears throat> so, so here's something that we remember the Old Testament, the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. It perfects it. It brings it, it brings it into what it was supposed to be. So, so somehow the idea of sowing and reaping, which is the, the strong underlying current of judgment through the Old Testament, that we get to the New Testament and we think somehow that doesn't apply anymore. But I think it's the other way around. I think it's stronger. Think about everything else in the New Testament. Before, it's an action oriented with, um, with judgment, and the judgment usually was much more immediate, okay? In the New Testament, we have the cross, we have personal salvation, we have grace on a personal level, and we don't see judgment um, as quickly, and sometimes not in the same way on this earth, but there will always be accountability eternally. 
But the idea of sowing and reaping is still consistent through the New Testament. But I believe the bar is raised. I'm accountable for the stuff, not only that I did in the Old Testament, but now I'm accountable for the stuff I think. In the Old Testament, it was how I interacted with people. Now it's how I, how I um, feel about people. That makes it more difficult. doesn't make it easier. Now, the, the cool thing is, is we do have grace, and here's the biggest, is we have the power of the Holy Spirit individually. That's why in Acts chapter 2, it's so important that there was a tongue of fire on every single individual head. Because now I have an individual opportunity for empowerment of the Holy Spirit. The same way that I'm going to be held accountable on an individual level, I have the ability to have, be empowered on an individual level. I have the ability to be empowered in my mind, soul, and spirit. And, and, uh, and uh, so that I can interact with somebody on a spiritual level the way that I'm supposed to. So mentally, my mind is right because the Holy Spirit's going to empower me mentally. And we didn't see that concept in the Old Testament the same way. Right? So there is accountability. When you, the way you think about people, the way you feel about people, the way you act toward people, the things that you say, you can think you're getting away with stuff, but you're not. You might for a little while, because we're under a system of grace now that, that didn't have the same, wasn't the same defining thing in the Old Testament. But you're going to be held accountable. It's just how it is. Whether we like it or not, we're going to be held accountable for everything. Okay. <clears throat> he said, the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names, and you can read those. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. This is a pretty um, bold thing for a captured slave of late teen, maybe early 20 years, to come in and tell the king of the largest kingdom on the planet. And by the way, you'll see later in Daniel, not only the largest kingdom on the planet at this time, but arguably, according to scripture, the strongest kingdom that's ever existed. Okay, we'll get to that because he's, he talks about that um, throughout history. Stronger than the Greco-Roman Empire, stronger than the Persian Empire, any of this kind of stuff. Right? And Daniel just kind of bows up to the king's like, nah, not, not eating your food. What? Now, why does Daniel say that? What, what gives Daniel that boldness? Russell? Maybe he was so um, ingrained in um, the Jewish culture and the wanting kosher food, and, you know, he was very principled. And so maybe that's, he had such a strong upbringing at that young age that, you know, maybe he just uh, was inspired by the Holy Spirit because God was going to use him later, and God maybe picked him out and said, hey, you know, and instilled in this uh, leadership capabilities and this, the, the boldness to actually stand up for what he believed. Okay, um, so let me, let me break down what Russell said. I'm going to critique it. He gave two different answers. Okay, thank you. 
Thank you for that choice. He gave two different answers. One is the culture with which he grew up in was so strong. The second one is the correct answer, because I'm going to talk about the first one, is the Holy Spirit gave him the boldness. Or another way even to put that is his relationship with God was more important to him. Okay? Here's one of the things that I've seen all my life growing up, and I've seen, you can see it in history, you see it a lot of times, is anytime somebody has a, a um, religious culture, uh, depending on um, how empowered that... Now, th- this is an, an important statement in two different directions. Depending on how empowered that religious culture is depends on whether or not they will stick with it when times get difficult. This can also mean demonically empowered religion. You understand what I'm saying? Holy Spirit empowers you, draws you into relationship with the Lord, and you can stand the test of time. You can stand persecution. You can, like, like uh, Revelation 12 says, that you love not your life even unto death. Okay? If, you're, if your relationship with the Lord is empowered by the Holy Spirit, if it's a cultural thing, you'll cave pretty quickly. In Christianity or any other religion, you'll cave pretty quickly. And you'll, okay, I'll, I'll become whatever you want me to be, or I'll deny my faith or whatever, because it's, it's a cultural. It's how you grew up. It's the religion of your fathers and their fathers kind of thing. If it's empowered, just like Islam is very empowered, it's demonically empowered, you, you will stand the persecution. Now, I'm not talking in, um, Holy Spirit conversion mentality. I'm saying persecution of your faith by outside whatever. If it's demonically empowered, you can stand the test of time. The, the, the interesting thing is the reason that people can get saved is because the Holy Spirit is more powerful than Satan. They're empowered. But the reason they can get saved, and we see this all the time. We see more and more stories. Of, there are entire books being written about this right now of people, that uh, Muslims that are seeing visions of Jesus. They're dreaming dreams of Jesus. And they know some of the truth, so they find a Christian, or a Christian has been witnessing to them. Usually is the way it is. Somebody has been trying to get through to them or something. And then Jesus reveals himself in a vision or a dream or something. And uh, because the, the message of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is more powerful than Satan. But Satan has powerful too, and he can empower his followers to stand against persecution. That's why there is such a thing as a suicide bomber. Because they are empowered by Satan to stand for their religion. When Daniel comes in front of the king, it's not culture. It's not culture that, that holds him strong. You'll cave pretty quick. Right? This is one of the things, this is one of the proofs that we would say, scriptural proofs of a resurrection. Right? <clears throat> now again, there's always the argument. I, I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. That, um, that there are people that will say Jesus wasn't real. Well, that's a stupid argument. There's too much history. For somebody that says that, they're just, they're just dumb. They're not, they're not looking at... There's, there's so much historical evidence of Jesus, okay? So move past that. Let's get past that group of people. Right? You're not going to be able to have a conversation with them because they don't even... That's like saying Napoleon wasn't real. I don't care what you say. What? That, so what do you do after that? You're like, okay, right? But, but the real argument that people have, and this is a legitimate argument, and I get it, is, 
Yes, Jesus was a real person and, and even did miracles. We know that, that they were recorded, he even did miracles. But he can't be God in human flesh. Okay? Um, so then the, the argument is well, the way you prove he's God in human flesh is he's resurrected. It's not by the miracles and stuff, is it that he was resurrected? So the argument is, well, he wasn't really resurrected. And there's the basic idea is that, that the Roman government took him and hid his body. Okay? Why is that one not legit? Because after a while, the stronger Christianity got, or the Jewish leadership, you can use it for either one, Roman government or Jewish leadership, the stronger the church got, the bigger the church got being persecuted by the Jewish leadership and the uh, Roman leadership, they would have presented his body. Said the whole thing's a sham. Hi, he's right here. Right? That didn't happen. Um, well, he, he was in a coma, and he, and, he, and he woke up and wandered around. You know, after bleeding to death. This is why the sentence, it says, the blood and water poured out. This is a, this is a scientific thing that people didn't know for years. That what happens as somebody enters to, takes the process of dying is their blood begins to separate. So we didn't know that for years and years and years. People didn't know why it was written. They're like, well, that's weird. But he couldn't have woke up out of this coma and then did what? Walk, left, wandered around? Nobody ever saw him wandering around in this coma? He presented himself to the disciples and nobody said, he seems a little out of it. Right? Because that's, that's one of the... But here's one of the biggest proofs that the resurrection really happened is explain why all of the followers of Jesus and specifically the disciples, every one of the disciples except one was brutally killed, martyred for Jesus Christ. Don't you think one of them on their deathbed as they're burning them or, or cutting their head off or, or nailing spikes through their hands and feet? Don't you think one of them would have said, ah, it's not real. This is not worth it. He's not real. He didn't raise me. I didn't see him walk through that wall when I was with the other disciples. I didn't see the prints in his hands and feet. I didn't see that. I made it all up. I'm kidding. But none of them did that. John. John didn't die at the hands of martyrdom, but I bet he wished he did. He was boiling oil three times. But here's the thing. I think somewhere in the middle of the first boiling and oil, I would have recanted if it wasn't real. As they lower me down the second time, because I know what the first one felt like, I don't want to go through this again. Three times he's boiled in oil, and it won't kill him, so they like, well, I sent him somewhere. So he gets sent to the Isle of Patmos. That's where he writes the book of Revelation, right? This is one of the proofs. This is the thing with Daniel for me is the reason Daniel has the boldness to step up to the king is because he truly has a relationship, truly has a relationship. This isn't, this isn't a, a cultural thing for him, <clears throat> Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord, my king. He's more afraid of the king than he likes Daniel. Do you see what God does with this scripture, how he uses these relationships to explain something to us? Daniel had the fear of God in relationship with God more than he feared the king. 
This guy had a great relationship with Daniel, but he feared the king more than he had a relationship with Daniel. Right? If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths of your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Pale and thin because you're not eating a bunch of fatty foods and getting drunk? I think you got this a little backwards, sir. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after the guys. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the... See, that's, that shows you right there. Daniel's... He's pretty amazing in my eyes. Right? We're, we're starting the Daniel fast around here. And here's something else. The second week of January, this next week coming up is not that. The, the, the second week... Um, we're going to do an all-church fast. If, you're, if you want to do this, but you're unsure of how, how strong you can be or whatever you want to do with this, just get involved in the Daniel fast. It'll be, a, it'll be a, a, a connecting, accountability way to do this fast um, in, a, in a, I think, in a, in a positive way for you, okay? Um, I, I, some of you, I'm going to do a full fast, Okay? And I know some of you want to do that. Maybe one or two days, maybe three, three days, four days, something like that. Um, do a full fast. But here's the thing. A fast without praying is what? A diet. Because you need to be praying. Praying is the key. Fasting gets your mind, your, your spirit in the same place to say, I am saying no to flesh so that I can say yes to Jesus during this time frame. It's not a sacrificing thing so God will bless me or honor me. It's not what it is. It's getting your mind right, in the right place to, to spend some time with God. And one of the things about a fast I think people don't pay attention to sometimes is part of the reason that a fast is, is the way that it is is because at different times in history, most times in history except the modern age, most times in history, most people worked all day long. So the idea of fasting, it's one of the few times that you could take a little bit of time and spend it with the Lord Instead of that little bit of time, like before you go to bed or when you first get up, you can actually spend quality time with God because you're not going to be eating something that you normally do during that time frame. You take that time frame instead and you pray, right? In our, in our schedules today where we literally have like nine to five jobs, 40 hour, maybe 50 hour weeks, maybe if you're just crazy workaholic, 60 hour weeks, right? Unless you're a pastor and then it's 24 seven, seven days a week. All right. He says, at the end of the 10 days, you will see how we look compared to the young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. <clears throat> Why does it keep changing this? The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. Do you think God can do that for us right now? Have you ever been in a setting, a work setting, where God gives you, and you can tell it's a God thing, where God gives you knowledge you don't have. 
for some of you in here that you may not have experienced that, first, you may not know you experienced it, for one thing. Um, but I'm telling you, I've, I've had God do that, where you can tell this is literally knowledge, supernatural word of knowledge. We always think about word of knowledge being for somebody else, and, and we do see the scriptural context for it being that. But word of knowledge to you from the Holy Spirit. You realize all the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be for you personally also? Wisdom. Supernatural gift of wisdom that God will give you. Um, I think these are important moments in life and time. I've seen this many different times. The, the most common place that I've seen it over the years for me is specifically when I was younger, I, I would be in a counseling session. You know, I was, I was a 22-year-old youth pastor, and I got people that have been married 25 years that are coming to me for marriage advice. 22 years old, Lynn and I got married at 20, so at 22 years old, where, what window was I in? The window where we're not doing well, that I mentioned earlier, right? And then I got people coming to me and saying, Pastor, we really need you to give us, uh, we need some counseling, we need some marriage counseling. I'm like, um, do you know anybody else? <laughs> right, because I don't know. I, I didn't want to be the guy that says, I don't really have a clue about marriage. I'm literally in the time frame that I think, my wife's crazy. So, but I, I, I would say, okay, because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. It's no, it's part of my responsibility. So the entire time, and I've done this, I still do this today. It's practice. It's, it's almost subconscious natural now. If, if you come in to tell me something and you're really unburdening your soul on something, I'm going to be looking at you, but I'm going to be praying the whole time. It, I, it's, it's what's happening. Um, because why? What would I be praying during those moments? Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Insight. Discernment. You've got a couple that comes to, together to talk to you. Well, see what happens is, is if you'll have one of them individually or both of them individually to come to you, talk to you. My policy for this is I will talk to, um, I will talk to an individual in the marriage one time without the spouse. But I don't talk to him after that alone. Because here's what I found over the years. I learned this the hard way. One of the spouses comes in. They can be great people. Okay, this is, I'm not, this is not a, a, an attack on their character or anything like that. They've been great people, but the story that they will tell you when they're alone is very different than the story that they will tell you when the other person is sitting there. And we can even do that subconsciously at so many levels. So I'll talk to them once individually, kind of let them open up. The whole time I'm praying, I'm saying, God, give me discernment. I need to know. I need to see past the words they're saying and see what you know. Now think about this. Can God tell you what he knows? Yes. And here's the other side of that. If you're really trying to help somebody in these circumstances, you should be praying for that. God, help me see past the stuff. Now, here's the tricky part is when God shows you stuff. When you begin to sense what God is speaking in this moment. Because now you've got to figure out, do you say it? Do you not say it? Do you address it immediately? How do you address it? Right? If it's blatant sin stuff, I've just jumped in and addressed it. I've been sitting with couples where there's adultery or something. And um, 
you know, they're, they're working through stuff, and then it's like, all of a sudden, I know this, right? It's, it's supernatural. I don't want to make it sound all, ooh, but that's what it is. And all of a sudden, I realize, oh, this person's had an affair. Now what do I do with that? Do you just say it? Oh, wait a second. Let me interrupt you just for a second. Um, you've had an affair. That does not go over well. Now, I've done that sometimes. But guys, you should be listening. When somebody comes to you at work and they're talking about something, they're struggling with the boss or they're struggling with the kids or something, listen, but also pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. You, God expects this from you. Okay? This is, well, I'm not a pastor. It has nothing to do with that. Who was Daniel? A late teenager. And what do we know Daniel for more than anything else? Interpretation of visions and dreams. Right? Guys, God wants to use you. We've got to get out of the mentality that the pastor is the guy that does the stuff. According to Scripture, the pastor is the guy that teaches you how to do the stuff. Listen to the Holy Spirit. When you're talking with somebody, listen. When you're just having a conversation, deeper conversation, not deeper. When you're walking into a, let's say you're walking into a coffee shop. And you're about to walk them and you're going to talk to the person at the counter. As you're walking in the building, open the door, whatever, just in your mind, just be praying. God, if this is a, a moment, you're going to give me an opportunity to talk to them, show it to me. Prepare them, show it to me. Then be listening to the Holy Spirit. It's not as difficult as we make it. Be listening. Don't walk them and I'm waiting for a message from the Lord. You're just a freak show if you do stuff like that. But just talk to them. Talk to them about life. Talk to them about what's going on. I, there's, a, there's, a, um, there's a place that I go to regularly here in town that the manager of the place, I, I developed a relationship uh, with her at a different place that she worked, and she got transferred to a new place that I frequent. She's a young lady that is called to ministry that is in a Bible school. And her dad's a pastor here in town, and I try to talk to her and encourage her every time I'm in there. Because I know how difficult it is to balance all those things. And then she's made manager, so guess what? She's making a lot more money, a lot more responsibility. So one of the times I was in there, I just told her, it was nobody else is standing around, I'm not trying to embarrass her. But I just told her, I said, just keep your eyes on what Jesus called you to. Don't get caught up with what is being presented to you right now, unless you feel like God is changing that. Stay focused. You're making more money, you're doing all this kind of stuff. You could make a career out of this very easily. But if that's not what God called you to, stay focused on that. She starts crying. I know God's been telling me. You know, and she's like, I'm like, I, didn't, I made a mistake. I didn't want to get this involved with this conversation. No, I didn't say that. I felt it. <laughs> Anytime somebody starts crying and moaning, I'm like, I'm out. I don't have the bandwidth. That's a nice way nowadays to say, I don't care. Right? <clears throat> they looked healthier. God gave them unusual aptitude for understanding. God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meaning of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the royal service. 
When the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. I, I love this. I, to me, the story is amazing on every single level. But just the... Um, just what God does with these guys. There's, God doesn't have any obligation to do this with these guys. The reason he's doing it is because he needs something done. He needs something accomplished. And he uses the people. And, and you guys know this. This is all through scripture. God uses the people that normally we wouldn't have thought to be used. We can start naming people all day long that, that they wouldn't have been the people. And the people that we would pick... This happens a few times in scriptures. The reason the people that we would pick don't do well. We can name all day long the ones that nobody would pick and they do well. Name one that we would pick but didn't do well. King Saul. Head and shoulders taller than everybody, good looking, beautiful hair. Says that. I'm not making that up. Says that. And he was so emotionally, spiritually, relationally handicapped because of his insecurities, his fear, and then mixed in some rebellion and selfishness that it hindered him his entire life. Till finally God said, I'm done. That's enough. I'm going to anoint David king. Right? But that's the guy we would have picked. That's the guy society would have picked. That's always amazing. That's, it's, it's, it should be an encouragement to every one of us. That God, in God's, um, in God's kingdom, he picks guys like you and I. Some of you are like, well, I think I'm pretty good looking here. You know. But you understand what I'm saying. God picks guys like us. Society picks guys like Brad Pitt, Right? Which, by the way, if you just want to know some background on him, he grew up in Springfield, Missouri, as a Christian, going to church. For you that don't know, Springfield, Missouri is the Assembly of God Mecca. We make pilgrimages there and walk around the headquarters. Is it a guy or a girl? Oh, okay. Because I think girls would have paid more attention, probably. I don't know. I'm being misogynistic right now. Yes, it is. But, but here's the thing with that is then society picks him and he goes a different direction in life. Kind of sad. He still has a lot of his spiritual background. You'll see it sometimes in interviews and things he does. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not the judge of these things, but it doesn't appear he's a Christian. But, uh, but he still has all the foundation. You see it. But society picked him. I don't want society to pick me. I want God to pick me. And then God to anoint me. And then give me aptitude. And then give me understanding. And then give me wisdom. And then give me discernment. And I want to follow that path. See, here's what we'll do. And this is actually kind of what the series I'm going to be doing Sundays is about is God has developed us and brought us to this place on the planet, doing all this stuff. 
and, and we try to walk our own path. It is so much human nature to do that. We try to walk our own path, but as we do that, we have to reject things that God is trying to do. It's amazing to me how, how hard we will run away from God when He is trying to do things with us, through us, and for us that are way better than what we could pick out. But we, we, we've trained ourselves. The church world does this. We've trained ourselves to not listen to God because we're scared, right? I, I don't have people overtly ever come out and say this until you really dig in for a while, and then, and then they'll finally say something. That, that This is one of the most consistent things I've seen, is I'm afraid to really let go and let God be completely in charge of my life, because then what? If, that, that's part of it, is, is accountability and responsibility. But I don't think that's what scares people the most. I think that is down the line. But I, I think people are scared that God will take them down a path that they don't want to go down. If you really surrender to God, He's going to make you go be a missionary in Africa. <clears throat> right? Because that's really complete surrender. Is God's going to pick the place on the earth, wherever it is, it may not be Africa, but God's going to pick the place on the earth I least want to be doing something that I least want to do under the most difficult of circumstances, and he's going to make me do that because I finally surrendered to him. That sounds like a good father, right? The people that God sends to Africa, they desperately want to go to Africa, right? Now, if, you, if that's scratching in the back of your mind and that's what you're afraid of, that's different. In other words, did God tell Because that's what my story was for a long time, is God called me to ministry when I was an eight-year-old kid, and I ran from it forever. I, I meet Linda. I, I'm, I'm told some of this sometimes. Some of you may not know some of this. I met Linda. The very first time I ever met Linda was at a youth camp between my junior and senior in high school. I'd never gone to a youth camp. I went to a kid's camp once. I wasn't a Christian at this time. I was doing everything I could to, to stay away from God. But, but um, three or four of my friends in the church that I went to, because my parents made me, was um, they all wanted to go to this camp. I'm like, come on, Scott, look, go with us, go with us. You know, I was that kid in the youth group. I was not serving God. I didn't want to do any of the God stuff. And I got all these jerk friends that are Christians that are harassing me all the time. And, uh, and one of the guys, he was, he was an amazing, he's a pastor now, amazing Christian. He was always witnessing to people in the hallways. He was a good friend of mine during the summer, but once school started, I stayed away from this guy. He was so embarrassing. He witnessed to everybody in school. Drove me nuts. Like, you know how difficult it is to flirt with a girl when you're telling her about Jesus? So they finally convinced me, go to this youth camp with us. There'll be lots of girls. I'm like, okay, I'll go. I see Linda walking across the courtyard of this camp. As plain, I'm not a Christian. As plain as day, God said, you're going to marry her. That's your wife. Scared me to death. Now, for that week, no big deal. Flirted. She's not here, so I'll tell you. I kissed her before we left the camp because I'm smooth. <laughs> right? 
Um, didn't see her again for a year. Went to boot camp, went to school, did all this stuff. Come back to university. I, I had been accepted to the University of Texas Longhorns pre-med program and, and to play baseball. And uh, I wasn't ever going to, I was never going to walk on the field at UT. Okay. Right, bef- right before I went to the Navy, like, like two days before I went to the Navy, I was sitting there one day, and I told my mom, I think I might like to go. There's this, another, there's this other school that some of my friends were going to nearby in Texas that was called Stephen F. Austin University. I said, I think I'd like to go this Saturday morning. I think I'd like to try that school. My parents did not want me to go to UT, vehemently didn't want me to, because of the culture, the atmosphere, everything else. Okay? By noon that day, she had me registered at Stephen F. Austin. They wanted me to go to Southwestern, but I, I didn't want to. And, uh, and I've never talked to my dad like this ever in my whole life, but I told my dad, if you make me go to Southwestern Assemblies of God College at that time, I will never, I will walk away and you'll never see me again. I was pretty serious about this. So they signed me up to Stephen F. Austin. Linda lived in that town. I didn't know that. I didn't know where she lived. Her dad pastored a church in that town. I sign up and I start school three miles from her house. God had told me I'm going to marry her someday. This, this guy would come by and harass me all the time. Come to Chi Alpha, come to Chi Alpha. I didn't know what Chi Alpha was. I'd never heard of it. I didn't know it was an Assembly of God college ministry. I'd never heard of it in my entire life. Grew, born and raised, grew up in Assembly of God churches. This guy keeps harassing me. I finally said, if you'll, if you'll stop if you'll leave me alone, I'll go to your meeting. But I don't want you to ever come and knock on my dorm room again. And he blatantly lied through his teeth and said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I got to know him very well. He became a very good mentor of mine for, for years and years and years till he died. And, um, but I asked him one time, like three or four years, I said, you had no intention of, not, of leaving me alone. He said, none whatsoever. But you said you'd come, so I lied to you. I thought, okay, praise the Lord. So I went to the Chi Alpha. I step into this Chi Alpha meeting, and I'm seeing there's like 50, 60 college students in there, right? I step in, and across the room is Linda. And God said, this is the way I heard it in my head. Ha, I got you. And he reminded me, you're going to marry her. I'm like, no, I'm not. Because I know what it is to run from all the things God has told you to do. I know what that is. You know, God's called you to be a missionary in, in China. I understand running from that. I totally get that. I've run from stuff God has told me all my life. I run from stuff God has told me in ministry, many times in ministry. I'm the guy getting I'm preaching every week. You've got to do what God says. You know, you And then God says, okay, I want you to do this. I'm like, hold on. I'm not one of those people. I preach to those people. And God makes me do this. I... I had a guy ask me, a good friend of mine I went to high school with. He's one of the guys that taught me into going to camp. A few years later, we're at college. He went to the same university. And he came to me and says, you know, I think God's been telling me to be a youth pastor. What do you think about that? Because I was a Christian by this time, and I was starting to serve God. And he says, you think, and I said, I'm called to ministry. He says, so you think you're going to be a youth pastor? I said, I'll never be a youth pastor, ever. Okay. And then what was the fourth thing that I said I would never do is I'd never go to Southwestern. Remember I said that to my dad. So 
I ended up going to Southwestern. But here's the thing. Linda went there a semester earlier than me. So now for me to go to Southwestern, and all of my friends are saying, you're going to marry her. In fact, my mom told me that. I broke up with Linda. We dated for a couple of months. I broke up with her because I was scared to death. Now, she also was trying to serve God, and I wasn't at this time. I got saved a couple months later. And, um, but all I hear was, you're going to marry her. You're going to marry her. And I'm like, I, I feel like I'm cheating this university campus by not making myself available to everybody. So I broke up with her. And I told my mom, my mom was coming to the campus uh, once a week because she was taking a class. She already had two masters. It never clicked in my head. She had two masters, but she was coming to the university to take a class. She was just wanting to say me, right? It didn't, I, I wasn't that bright. And I, I showed up one day, and she says, where's Linda? And I said, well, we broke up. She just started yelling at me, and right in the parking lot for all these other students. You dummy. God put her in your life to marry her, and you break up with her? I'm like, I'm not going to marry her. Right? Because I know what it is to run from God. But here's the thing. When God gives you what he's got planned, it's way better than anything you could plan. Way better than anything you could plan. God gave me the perfect woman, wife, mother of my children that I could possibly ever design. Perfect. And I, through my rebellion, I almost missed that. I'm telling you, there's a few things, moments in my life when I look back where something could have gone one way there. And I do not believe in predestination. I was making some bad decisions and I could have derailed the rest of my life. I'm not okay with that. Guys, just do what God says. It's always best. Just do what God says. I didn't want to be in ministry. Who wants to be in ministry? And, and it's the greatest thing God's ever done with me. And, and, he's, and he's just starting, I feel like. The idea of going to that university. It's kind of ironic to me that I'm still connected to the university. I'm, still te I'm, I'm teaching a, a doctoral class this summer online for the university. I sit on the, the alumni board. I told my parents I would never go to that school. God's like, you have no idea what you're saying. I'm going to link you to this school for the rest of your life. <laughs> You're going to be in ministry the rest of your life. You're going to be married to Linda the rest of your life. You only have to be a youth pastor for seven years. Right? Because just do what God says. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you aptitude. He'll give you understanding. He'll bless you in ways that you never thought possible. You're scared of going next door and talking to that neighbor. Just do it. It will be amazing what God will do with you. That coworker that's struggling through some stuff, open yourself up, minister to them. You'll be amazed at what God can do. Don't hold back. Don't worry about, well, if I ever witness to this person, God's going to send me to China. No, forget all that stuff. If, if God has a plan for you that's outside your scope right now, by the time you get there, you will be so excited to do it, you can't imagine it. Just do what God has called you to do. All right, any thoughts, ideas, stuff?
Nothing. I had a conversation with my oldest before he went to school. And I told him, I said, you're going to Southwestern. We, we didn't know. So I wasn't on the board and all that stuff for years. And I've been on the board about 15, 16 years now. But um, we were looking at Evangel um, or and a Christian school named Southwestern um, in, uh, in Texas. <laughs> but uh, we, Linda's parents lived in Evangel, lived in Springfield. So Evangel would have been cheaper, right? We get put on this board. I didn't know this. I'm having a conversation with one of the professors, uh, one of the vice presidents, and I said, yeah, we really want to send the Southwestern to come here, but um, as a pastor's kid, they get a 10% discount. And he said, has nobody told you? I said, told me what? He said, your kids get free tuition completely, 100%. You sit on this board. And I felt the Lord in that statement. <laughs> My son said, I joke about that, but there's a reason why God put me on the board. That's one of them. Right? By the time Emily got to school, it was a 50%. It wasn't 100%. It was 50%. But that's still considerable, especially at a private, private university. But, um, so I was talking to Jonathan. He said, Dad, I don't know for sure if I want to go to Southwestern. I said, well, first, you know, a choice. But um, we talked about it, and we prayed about it, and he went to Southwestern. And he met the most perfect woman, my daughter-in-law. Again, I've, I've told him this over and over. Jonathan, and, I, and he's a very gifted individual, but I don't know how he ever convinced her that he was something. She's amazing, perfect. And they've given me two grandkids that are amazing. Because just do what God tells you. It's always best. It's always best. All right. So how should we pray about this? Yes, Allison. Um, I think what you said earlier in worship, too, of like being close to Jesus so that you can know what he's telling you. And so you're not being so drowned out by everything that the world is saying so that we like just be having that closeness so that we can discern what he's telling us. Yeah. You'll never go wrong with that prayer. Lord, pull me in close. I'm dealing with this. Pull me in close. I'm dealing with this. Just pull me in close dealing with it, just pull me in close. It'll, it'll fix everything. Just pull me in close. Because the closer you get, you will listen. You'll be convicted. All these things happen. Um, yeah, let's just pray that. Lord, we submit ourselves right now to you. Jesus, I know, I know without a doubt that you want to do things with people in this room that they have no ideas on the horizon. You've got opportunities and, and wonderful endeavors and ministry and all kinds of stuff. They have no idea. Lord, you've got stuff for me. I have no idea. Jesus, we struggle so much with resisting you and, and trying to mark our own path and doing this ourselves. Lord, teach us to stop leaning on our own understanding 
and just to lean on you. Lord, help us to stop kicking against the goads, to stop resisting the connection, the relationship, and the bond that you want with us. And Lord, help us to just to, to let go and just be a Daniel. Just walk in and say, this is who my God is. Not disrespectfully, not with some kind of attitude, but Lord, this is who my God is and I'm going to serve him. In every setting, this is who my God is and I'm going to serve him. God bless us. And when we do that, you do amazing things. We thank you. So Lord, we just want to be close to you. In the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Go have a good time in New Year's. Are you crazies that are going to stay up all crazy hours like till 1030 and stuff like that? And uh, we will see you Sunday morning. Invite somebody to church during January. Wouldn't that be good? Do that.